0: Project. nice to be
1: in orbit. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Good.
2: That's right. This is the very first episode of Pulitzer Surprises, the podcast. Mm-hmm. And my name is Caroline Chaper.
1: And I am Eliza Cosillo. And we started doing this show about the Pulitzer Prizes because we want awards, but we don't want to do the work to earn them. Yeah.
2: And we Googled the Pulitzers once and we found out that they've got to be the easiest and cheapest awards to submit for. Did you know that you can send anything,
1: anything in, the world in the world
2: to Columbia
1: University And if you put 50 bucks in there with it, they will read it. They will read it and consider it for a Pulitzer Prize. So that's the basis of the show. We started inviting our favorite comedians to submit their entry for a Pulitzer because it's so dang easy to to win one. Everybody everybody has a Pulitzer. And everyone deserves one, too, frankly. Yeah, anything you do, you deserve a Pulitzer. Um, So we do that, and then we interview a real, true, living Pulitzer Prize winner who has actually done something good My, and something better than any of us <laughs> <have ever done. laughs> they've affected change and they are st- normal yeah. i don't get it yeah <laughs> they're good people um and actually i don't know if uh you guys are aware of this out there but um this is the the single only news satire show out there mm-hmm. i think so. we probably invented the genre i would say
2: yeah this is unlike anything you've ever heard before.
1: Pretty sick. Yeah. Mm,
0: okay. okay. What
1: <laughs> what
2: you're about to hear is a live show that we recorded in union hall the best basement in brooklyn new york
1: (laughs) yeah uh and on this episode we have a bunch of great comedians as always we have dan levine or dan spencer levine however you know him we we did not ask him which name he prefers i think actually we did and we did not remember the answer (laughs) Um, so we have this question mark of a person. We've got Matt Nelson. Mm-hmm. We've got Annie Donnelly. Uh huh. We've got Kashana Kali. That's right. And we've got the number one Pulitzer Prize winner, woman, Sarah Riley. Angel on Earth. Angel on Earth. She's a journalist. Uh, she's an investigative journalist. She freaking got laws changed for what she wrote. Um, it's a great interview, it's a great show. You
2: know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> the first boy you're going to hear from, Dan Levine, he designed our poster, which is very good. Very nice, but would not let us pay. So for it. bad at business, good at winning Pulitzers. You're going to find yeah. out. You're going to find out. Also, please know that he accompanied this With a very good PowerPoint. So if you want to see that, email us and we'll share it to you
1: on Google Drive. (laughs) Yeah, we'll add you to the Google Doc. Um, You know our email address. Yeah, you got it, right?
2: Welcome, Dan. Woo, Dan.
3: Thank you. I learned how to use Google Slides. Okay. Hello, my name is Daniel. I'm a cartoonist. Uh, when they asked me to do the show, I said no. And then they asked if I wanted $100, and I said okay. So I thought really hard about what was going on in the world and what I knew enough to write about, Uh, and I needed to decide on something to apply for a Pulitzer, so I posed this sociological experiment. What if for one week, give or take, I ate only soup for lunch? Uh, And I call this Super Size Me. (laughs) And this is a uh, 100% give or take true. <laughs> so, let's get started. First of all, you're probably wondering, what is soup? We should lay <laughs> the groundwork here. Soup is broth with stuff in it. But what is broth? Okay, take it easy. <laughs> broth is liquid medium containing proteins and other nutrients for the culture of bacteria. And that is from the film The Brothman Prophecies from 2012. <laughs> See, that's, that's still framework from the movie. I think it won best hair and makeup. So soup is all about bases, and there's a helpful uh, chart that I made to help you remember what is a soup compared to any other food. So if it's broth, that's a soup. If you're dealing with milk, that's cereal, my friend. (laughs) If you're starting with water, that's probably some drinks. But water plus soup is broth, and broth equals soup. So we're back to the beginning. Okay, so this is a quick evaluation of me before I started the experiment. Uh, Physically, I had big muscles. Uh, Mental problems, none except for the one. And smartness, I am very dumb. All right, so let's, let's get on board. Day one, I had the Southwestern shrimp and roasted corn chowder from Hale and Hardy Soups. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I like, I like Hale and Hardy Soups a lot. Uh, this is an actual screenshot of my uh, Google Gmail account history. If you do a, uh, a search for Hale Hardy, it's all order confirmations from Hale and Hardy Soups except for one chat with my dad that's, that says, yes, my Hale and Hardy order is delivered. Uh, that's, re- that's real. Uh, here's a life hack. If you don't know, if you order one of their cookies, they'll put it on top of the soup, and it makes the cookie really warm when it gets there. Um, but this is tricky because you're going to want to eat the cookie when it's hot, so you're going to plow through the soup really fast, and that's bad. One time I did that, and I had to go to the hospital for throat burn. So pace yourself on the soup. The cookie will be warm enough when you get there. Okay, so... Day one was the southwestern shrimp and roasted corn chowder from Hale and Hardy Soups. Here's a picture of it. Uh, it looks like an ordinary soup. Uh, it also came with a half sandwich, but this isn't about the sandwich, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so, thoughts, day one. After I ate the soup, uh, I still feel pretty good. I still feel pretty normal. Uh, viscosity, not too viscous, not few viscous. Uh, I'm already thinking of tomorrow's soup, so I'm still good. I'm still anticipating more soup. I'm not tired of it yet. Uh, and these are just some stray thoughts. Uh, what makes corn a chowder? And why do we say corn on the cob? This was an interesting question because I always thought that the emphasis was on the on the cob part. Like we're having corn on the cob. That's what, that's what it is. It's, we're having corn on the cob because there's m- multiple ways you can eat corn. But I always thought that the emphasis was on the corn. We're having corn on the cob. Like there were other foods that were on cobs that I didn't know about. <laughs> there are no other foods on cob. The emphasis is on the cob. Because corn can be two ways. Off the cob or on the cob. Okay. Uh, rating, I give it three soups. Okay. Uh, day two was miso soup from a place by my office called Yuri Sushi. And here it is. It's an ordinary miso soup. Uh, miso soup is kind of like a fancier soup. Uh, it's, more, it's very high-end. Uh, it's not from America, and you can tell that it's kind of fancy because you get it at the adult section of the supermarket. Uh, so after I ate the miso soup, my thoughts were uh, still pretty good. I still feel pretty normal and uh, viscosity report, it wasn't very viscous, it was almost like water, which is not good. Because water is some drinks, it's not soup. <laughs> and then straight thoughts is, why do people say that's not good? There's a word for not good, the word is bad. Just say that's bad. I'll give you an example. Here's a man, his penis is stuck in, in a number of gears. And he's being evicted from his house that he's lived in his whole life. That's not good. <laughs> that's too many words. That's bad. It's bad that my penis is stuck in a number of gears and I need to give two soups, where I've lived my whole life. <clears throat> Rating, I give it two soups. Day three was chili. Oh, great. God. I knew, I knew this was going to happen. That's, that's, they're from the chili company. They're from Chili Con Business. I knew it was going to happen. Okay, but listen to this. A few weeks ago, I found this article. And it proves, you say, that it's found in the broth. And broth equals soup. So, chili is soup. Remember, it's all all about bases. So, day three I had chili. I don't know why the second N is a different color than the first N. That's a design mistake. So this is a picture of the soup. Uh, Some research companies companies found out what I was doing and they were super into it, so they gave me a little more money to take the pictures. Uh, They even got a male model to be in the picture with the soup. Uh, okay, you're paying for it. Uh, The only problem was I think they spelled my name wrong on the chili. But I can't change that. So, thoughts after day three. Uh, I didn't feel so good after the chili. Um, My tongue felt bad. And the viscosity report was it was almost too viscous, you know? And then I started thinking that there are too many people on Earth. Uh, And I had this idea idea for a movie about a dystopian future. Uh, I have a lot of ideas for movies, and I write them down. There's, uh, there's Buddies in Time. Uh, Moonlight 2, I think that would be really good. Uh, the Lion King was already a movie. Then there's my Dystopia movie idea. And then Zootopia 2, which I'm tentatively calling Tutopia. <laughs> Uh, So my idea for the dystopian movie was that we exist in some future where there are just too many fucking people on earth And whoever is in charge decides that we're just gonna have to kill one random person a day to make this even out No one knows who it is It's completely random and it could be you it could be somebody that you know And then there's still too many people so the people in charge are trying to decide how many people a day They have to kill to even it out and then I fucking realize that that's not a movie. That's fucking everyday life That's how it is. You don't know when you're gonna die could be you could be anybody that you know at any time. There's very little you can do there's very little control that you have over life events. My rating is three soups. Uh, Day four, I got the New England clam chowder from Hale and Hardy Soups again. Uh, They even flew me to New England to take the picture, uh, which was pretty awesome, it was pretty cool of them. Uh, At this point, my brain is mostly soup. Uh, And my thoughts that day was just, it was just soup all day, was all I would talk about. I was pretty much the soup king at that point. Uh, I imagine that instead of uh, a king's jewels on my fingers, I had little mugs of soup. <laughs> and whenever I took a sip of the soup, my servants would refill my mugs of soup on my soup rings. Uh, I realized that this is just a soup world and we're all living together in the soup. Uh, my rating was three soups. Uh, day 5 I ate corn because I needed a fucking break. <laughs> Conclusions. There are many different kinds of soups that I didn't try. There's Boston Cream Chowder, there's soup dumplings, which is a crazy thing, but it's true. There's pork noodle, there's horse bisque, there's Richard's mixture. there's peppers and cheese, there's gumbo, there's stews of different sorts and kinds, there's Udon ramen spaghetti, and there's soup and salad combo. I didn't try any of those. So this is meat post-soups. My physique was uh, no muscles, I was mostly liquid at this point. Uh, mental problems, don't fucking ask me that. Smartness, I answered, I guess, in some kind of binary code, which means I'm either super smart or a computer. So my conclusion at the end of the experiment was that soup is here to stay, but maybe let's not overdo it. Let me just see if I have anything on my notes here. No, I think I got everything. Thank you very much.
1: Dan Levine, everybody!
2: The next person is me, Caroline, which is why it is a very, very good part of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do a movie review. Click, clack. That's the sound of my Birkenstocks. Coming for you, Peter Travers. Okay, for my... I am submitting for criticism, and I am submitting my review of the film Boss Baby, which I saw high, Um, (laughs) of course, but I did not write this review of it high, So it's only as intolerable as I am all the time. Um, Okay. Boss Baby or what if Jack Donaghy was a baby? Finally, a movie for David Mamet fans who are also babies. I am neither of those things, but I can still confidently say that Boss Baby is the best movie I've ever seen. (laughs) Boss Baby follows Timmy, some kind of mommy's boy idiot who thinks his parents wrote the song Blackbird just for him. Timmy is so into his parents that his life stops in its fucking tracks when his mom gets pregnant. Timmy is either 5 or 11, nowhere in between. He knows what sex is and is disgusted by it, so for all I know, he could be 24. (laughs) Timmy's new little brother shows up, and the, the brother is not a baby at all. He is the boss baby, voiced by Alec Baldwin, of Baby Corp. An organization in heaven that is in charge of making people like babies more than they like puppies. Once Boss Baby has done his job, he erases the memory of the baby in, in the parents' minds and just leaves an unexplained and unoccupied nursery in their house. Um, I want to make it clear, I am not bad at explaining the plot. The plot is just bad. <laughs> uh, Boss Baby has the structural integrity of cotton candy in the ocean. Uh, I tried to explain the movie to Dan, and he said, from what I can gather, this movie is four hours long. (laughs) For all I know, he is right. So the the logic of Boss Baby is not on trial here because there are not enough lawyers in the world. The movie asks a lot of questions and makes no attempts to answer any of them, so you should spend absolutely no time thinking about any of those questions. You can instead focus on how sexualized the Boss Baby is. 80% of this movie is about ass which rules. In the opening scene, Timmy says, I wonder where babies come from? Cut immediately to asses bouncing onto a conveyor belt. Babies are made in heaven, but sex also exists in this world, which means sex is purely recreational. Nice. Um, Absolutely everything about this movie goes over the head of its intended audience, which is children. Um, I do not think any of the children in the theater laughed even once. I, however, had the time of my damn life. Everything about this movie is funny. There is a scene where Timmy and the Boss Baby are sucking on pacifiers yelling, I want you to suck it and faster. (laughs) Uh, Scenes from both Glengarry Glen Ross and The Wolf of Wall Street are recreated in their entirety uh, for children. (laughs) And everyone knows that uh, making children do adult things is the height of comedy. Uh, at one point, all the kids in the movie are reading a story, and the story ends. And the godless witch miserably burned to death. The end. It is my opinion that Boss Baby is incredibly funny, regardless of the conditions under which you see it. I saw this movie on a Sunday afternoon with my friend Cassidy and a cookie, which we were convinced was just a cookie, but was wrapped in tin foil, so really we should have known. <laughs> when we walked in to buy our tickets, the lobby was completely packed. And an employee said, oh, don't worry. The shows aren't selling out unless you're going to see Boss Baby, which Cassie and I whipped our heads around like we were in a damn CoverGirl commercial and said, we are. (laughs) And that is the confidence that Boss Baby gives you. Confidence enough to buy mini corn dogs, a medium popcorn, and a Coke slushie and think you're not going to shit your pants. And I was right. I didn't. (laughs) So in conclusion, thank you, Boss Baby, and may God bless you.
1: For your consideration, is someone you definitely know, Dick Preston. You guys know Dick Preston?
2: He's fucking famous. He's
1: a famous banana magnet reading from his memoir. Eliza, you don't have to scream. We all know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's reading from his memoir for the very popular memoir category of the Pulitzers. Dick?
4: Give it up for the girl, huh? <laughs> Uh, and for the soup man.
0: <laughs>
4: As they said, I'm a uh, you know, economics professor but I used to be in the banana trade. <laughs> I wrote a book about it. Chapter 3, wherever I want. They say money doesn't grow on trees, but bananas grow on trees. And I made a lot of money selling bananas. Costa Rica, 1986. Me and our family assassin, Jack Torrent, went down for one of our little trips. We called them surfin' turfs. We'd surf in the morning. Then in the afternoon, we'd strong-arm the locals into giving us more land for bananas. Jack and I were cordial, but we were never friends. Mostly because of our age difference. He was 86, I was 13. But we were fine either way. I was young and heir to a billion dollar fruit fortune, and he was old and would die soon. (laughs) At night, he would go out assassinating, and I would go to the arcade. My favorite game was wedding. My favorite snack was raw meat. (laughs) At night, we went to sleep. In the morning, we had a wild session on the waves. Jack and I make our way to the jungle in the afternoon to a village on the hill. The kind of spot the sun loves but God hates. Perfect for a banana. We walk directly to the leader of the village and go knock, 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 it's Dickie Preston. By this time I had a reputation for being powerful and emotional. My terrible teens. People were scared of me, it was good. Suddenly, the door flies open, and there stands the leader of the village with a gun in his hand, shouting Spanish. Jack reached for his gun, but he'd forgotten it. I slipped or something, and somehow I ran away. Jack followed behind me. An easy escape. But they had made two enemies. One powerful and young. One old. Not to be played for a fool, I quickly phoned my father. He called the CIA. The next day, the village was bombed. <laughs> Washington, DC, 1987. My father was busy, so I went to the White House for lunch with President Reagan. He had salad, I had raw eggs. <laughs> he asked if I support the troops. I said no, but I suppose our troops What? I suppose our troops should get the fuck down south and help us with the bananas. He laughed. I wasn't joking. He said, I hear you're doing great work down there. I'm sure we can help. I said, don't blow smoke up my ass if you don't want to get shit in your mouth. He wanted shit in his mouth. After lunch, I wedged myself in the doorway and refused to leave until they let me bowl. They had no choice, so I bowled, and I bowled, and I drank more eggs, and I bowled. (laughs) After every strike, I screamed so loud, I soon lost my voice completely. I wouldn't speak again for two years. (laughs) Around 7 p.m., I headed back upstairs to push my way into dinner with the Reagans. One look in my eyes, and they can tell I wasn't going to stop grinding and whining until they let me have my way. My steak was bad and I blamed Nancy. (laughs) The power of my words removed, I instead committed myself to glaring at her for the rest of the night. After about 15 minutes, I broke her. She got up from the dinner table and left. She didn't finish her food. I did. (laughs) By now I could feel the night drawing to a close. I quickly made my way to a nearby doorway hoping to wedge myself in once again. But I was stopped by one of the Secret Service brutes before I could get a good stronghold. Without the power of verbal coercion, they were able to use all their strength to drag me out onto the front lawn. I'm 120 pounds normal, but I'm 500 pounds limp and struggling. (laughs) And you better believe I was limp and struggling. If you're ever getting dragged out of somewhere you don't want to be dragged out of, you limp and struggle. They grab you, you go, and then you fight, fight, your life, and then they go, That was my first time in the White House, but it wouldn't be my last. My last would be later that night when I snuck back in and put piss in Reagan's vodka. They grabbed me almost right away, but to this day, he drank the piss. Guatemala, 2017, this year i spent the past year on sabbatical from Yale, trying to make alcoholic banana soda for kids. (laughs) Children don't like me, even though they should. I'm nice, I'm powerful, I have height. One day I'll have an army of children, and I'll be allowed to go chapter three wherever I want.
1: Okay, because this is audio only, I want to help you guys picture what is happening on the stage when Annie Donnelly is about to come out. Um, Imagine maybe the best thing you've ever seen, and then imagine that trying to win a Pulitzer. Then you're beginning to approach how good this was. Yes, Annie (laughs) Donnelly, the freaking goddess. Please welcome a plastic bag.
5: The times have changed. These days it's all about recycling and biodegradable materials. Those are trend words, yeah? (laughs) But I remember a time when my kind was a trend, a lightweight, convenient, bag where you could carry all of your items, well, there wasn't a grocery store in sight that didn't have a bag like me, and you'd go to checkout, and the grocer would look you in the eye, and he'd ask you the question, paper, plastic, used to be everybody said plastic plastic was on everybody's lips, plastic, I want plastic, a cool lightweight bag with handles on it, it doesn't ruin when it gets wet in the rain, it can carry all of your items, all your shit. It could be a makeshift overnight bag, put your toothbrush and panties in it. (laughs) It could be a last resort tote, put your alcohol and drugs in, sneak them on the train. Those were the days when I was working with real people, party people, you know? People who loved rock and roll, sex and drugs, god those people were wild and crazy they threw caution to the wind hell they'd throw me into the wind and it wasn't called littering back then no it was not that wasn't they didn't care nobody cared about littering <laughs> this is the time of sex drugs rock and roll speed weed birth control lives of bitch and we're gonna die so fuck the world and let's get high Fly remember when it changed but at some point it did they started putting handles on paper bags just like mine and even worse they started making little nylon reusable shopping bags and they put them put them right at the checkout line and in an eye of the shoppers and then all of a sudden it wasn't two choices at the checkout line anymore bagger would look you in the eye, and he'd ask, would you like paper, plastic, or would you like to try one of our new nylon reusable shopping bags for the low, low price of $3? Pretty soon, nobody chose me anymore. <laughs> Oh, sure, there would be those days when shoppers would forget their little reusable bags and they would begrudgingly say, I guess I'll do plastic. And I thought, yes, this is my moment, this is my chance, I'm going to carry our shit home for you. And I did. I did it happily. And what did you do? You took me home with a scowl on your face. You put your shit away and you stuffed me in the back of your pantry with all my plastic brothers and sisters. (sighs) Yearning for the day to carry your shit. (laughs) People are different now. Back then parties. Now, babies. People don't throw away their rotten food anymore. They compost it. Hell, you can't even say faggot anymore. It's too offensive. (laughs) Certainly don't want me anymore. thing I'm used for is to pick up your dog shit. (laughs) Other day I had a fella use me as a condom in an act of desperation and I thought this is cool it's sex but it was missionary with his wife.
1: (laughs) People have changed.
5: used to do for you. Remember what I can do for you. I swear, baby, I can make your dreams come true, baby. I can carry anything you want to, baby. But you gotta choose me. You gotta remember me.
1: Keshana
2: Kali, she is a writer for The Daily Show and every magazine I think that's ever existed. <laughs> yeah. So, true. y'all, you know she's good, but she's going to make bad writing turn into good writing, and you're going to see it, and we are very grateful for her
1: sacrifice. Thank you.
6: <laughs> Picture this you're reading a hardcore suburban middle-class divorce novel. (laughs) And your eyes are glued to the page all the way through the scene where you learn that the couple used to have group sex with goats. (laughs) But you turn the page, and right after that, you end up discovering a very long description of the parts of their house. Right after you've concluded that this might be the most exciting middle-class divorce novel of all time. <laughs> so you're pissed. and. It is a very long section of house parts, and I mean long. There are doors and floors and tiles and windows, and there's glass in those windows, and there are cracks in the glass in those windows, mm-hmm. and there's a story of the reenactment of the very first time their cat put a paw on the window and cracked that glass. <laughs> and you're pretty sure by this point that anyone who has ever been tortured has like, well, at least they didn't hit me with the house parts. But you're sad, you know, because you like this book, right? You you really thought you had found the best suburban middle-class divorce novel of all time, damn it, and you're pissed. And on top of that, you've done the math, and you figured out that you've only liked a sad 64% of the last five novels you've read. Well, it's time to get that percentage up. My invention is called Add a Murder. <laughs> If you're bored with a book, you can just slide a murder via a series of buttons on the back of a paper book or an electronic tab and an e-book to spice up that little section that's threatening to get your percentage down. So you'll never have to have the soul-sucking experience of only liking 64% of something you read ever again. So all you have to do is just slide a murder into that romance novel or just Tuck a murder into that diet book you're reading that's 64% pictures of avocado toast. <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know that book you just started? The heartwarming one about the horse that overcame the odds to win the Kentucky Derby? Well, a little secret. That story would be even more heartwarming if you took out the jockey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, on a
6: second thought. Fuck horses, you could take that sucker out, too. (laughs) So, step up to the plate. Become one of our satisfied customers. (laughs) Add a murder to something you really, really would like to spice up. Because there are two kinds of people in this world. And one of them is the person who, after their mom calls and goes, did you like that copy of Lean In that I got you for Christmas? says, you know what, Mom? You're right. I took a look at my job at the pizzeria, and I realize now that I'm going to need at least six mentors <laughs> in order to have even the slightest shot of getting promoted to manager and making a life-changing 25 cents more an hour. <laughs> or you can be the kind of person that's like, you know what, Mom? I did like Lean In. And let me tell you my favorite part of the book. Cheryl Sandberg gets that mentor that she's been looking for for so long. And she gets invited to that power lunch that she's dying to go to. (laughs) And she sits down at that power lunch and she tucks into a delicious looking tomato, mozzarella, and basil salad. And after she's done eating that salad, she picks up her salad fork, and she whacks those two guys who are standing behind her, the creeps, because that's the only way she's going to get that promotion.
1: Okay, now we've got the interview coming up. And the you, main event. The main event. And you might be screaming into your phone right now, how do I know who deserves a Pulitzer? Don't fucking relax.
2: Chill, <laughs> because we about to talk to Sarah Riley.
1: Sarah Riley, the 2017 Pulitzer winner for public service. And in this
2: interview, we uncovered something really fucked up about the public service Pulitzer. So Pulitzer people, hook us up with a Pulitzer for that. Yeah, I guess
1: we did our own investigative journalism, huh? Also, Eliza, big
2: crush on her. Oh, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) You can definitely hear that in the interview. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Sarah also had some her whole f- her whole crew, crew
1: came yeah. and so, so it, you're gonna hear them for yeah, sure some
2: interjections from the audience i wish people liked me as much as everyone in the world i know loved sarah
1: reilly it's so true
2: boy i hope she lives up to the hype <laughs> <laughs> all right um say the pulitzers of our next guest for uncovering, primarily through the work of reporter Sarah Riley, widespread abuse of eviction rules by the police to oust hundreds of people, most of them poor minorities, we award the public service Pulitzer to the New York Daily News and ProPublica, but mostly Sarah Riley. Please welcome <laughs> a <laughs> member of the Extremely Dishonest Press.
1: I had that many fans. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's that? (laughs) Um, Cool. Can everyone see and hear? Everyone can see, right? Can you all hear? (laughs) If you couldn't uh, see, there
2: was a time to speak up way before this.
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, don't worry about it. (laughs) Um, Okay, well... Yeah, we are um, so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this. It's honestly like amazing to us that Pulitzer Prize winners agree to do our show. Yeah. So it's very nice. Maybe they haven't seen
2: The Basement. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so I guess to start off, would you uh, mind taking the audience through your piece that you won for? Um, yeah. Yeah.
7: Businesses and homes that it says was being uh, used illegally. Um, so uh, about half, uh, they, they filed about a thousand of these uh, nuisance statement actions a year. At the NYPD, uh, roughly half were against homes, mostly for drug offenses, and then the other half were against businesses. Um, what I found was a lot of the business uh, cases were over underage
1: alcohol sales. Can everyone hear her mic in the back? No. Okay. Here, let no. me give you mine.
2: Yeah. What
7: I have
1: to say is way less important. <laughs>
7: So the way that they would start these cases is by uh, having a secret hearing called an ex-parte hearing uh, before a judge, the NYPD's lawyer, uh, where they would lay out the allegations. Um, They would ask the judge to give them uh, a closing order on the business of the home that they could surprise the tenants with. Um, And uh, and so they would, you know, show up at your house uh, and uh, tell you and your entire family that you have to get out immediately um and that you're uh that you're facing nuisance abatement action your apartment is at risk of being closed down for a year um based on these allegations um i uh sorry it's very complicated so yeah, <laughs> no, don't worry. We're, we're keeping up. Um, so, so I guess I'll start with the story. Um, the, the way that I actually came across the story, I was going through some uh, police misconduct lawsuits, and I came across one where the uh, woman mentions that the uh, police tried to evict her from her apartment uh, based on some allegations that had been dismissed months earlier. Um, her name is uh, Jamila Al-Shabazz. Uh, the police had raided her home and uh, five others in uh, May 2011. Arrested uh, 13 people um, uh, on uh, drug charges. Um, Most of the charges were quickly dismissed, um, and the only charge that actually stuck was a low-level possession of marijuana charge. Um, So, um, you know, her her charges were dismissed. They said that they found all these um, cups of um, powder that they said was cocaine. But it was actually uh, crushed eggshells. Crushed egg yeah, yeah. she's in a spiritual ritual. So um, even though she spent a few days on Rikers, she, you know, her charges were dismissed. They didn't prosecute because the drug test came back negative for narcotics. She thinks that's all over with. Several months later, uh, the uh, uh, the NYPD's lawyer and a team of police officers show up at her home. She wasn't actually there. Her son was there, and uh, say that they're sealing sealing the apartment, closing the apartment down. They got one of these secret closing orders. So uh, everyone in her family was instantly homeless. Um, since she and her children weren't home, they didn't have a chance to gather their belongings. Um, and then uh, a few days later, they get the opportunity to come into court and tell their side of the story. Um, at that point, um, the uh, NYPD said, okay, we'll dismiss the case, uh, but you have to, or, or, or we'll, we'll let you sign a settlement to settle the case so you and your family can get back into your apartment, but you have to agree to borrow your son he was 21 at the time, uh, from your home for the rest of his life. Uh, and so yeah. she, she did. <laughs> she She agreed to it. She, uh, you know, I came, you know, talked to her, you know, I, I actually talked to her over the course of like three years because I was kind of like chipping away at the story while doing other things. So, um, uh, you know, I, I knew her for a, a while. But um, she actually like was so traumatized by the fact that she was asked to do that that she... Would not believe that she did it, even when I showed her the settlement that had it in writing. Um, and uh, at the time that she had to bar her son, he had a completely clean record. Um, well, I mean, he he had a, he didn't have any convictions. He had some like low-level uh, um, drug offenses that uh, were like possession that they did like a adjournment in contemplation of dismissal. So after like six months, it's you know it's, for all intents and purposes it's sealed. But Um, Anyway, so, uh, but the the police, you know, were, you know, constantly sort of, you know, bothering her sons um, and uh, and, and so this is the the result of that case and then there were actually four others in the same building, Um, some similar circumstances, um, you know, one apartment, like the police during the raid like shot their dog and (coughs) killed their dog and arrested all the adults that, you know, uh, that weren't taking care of small children in the house. And what they charged him with was possession of a a, a toy lighter that was in the shape of a gun and I think it was a, a marijuana Like, it was, like, a small amount of marijuana possession. Like, that's all they found when they did the raid of the house. (laughs) Um, Cool. Are you
1: guys ready for us to make comedy out of that? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Sorry.
7: No, no. I should have developed my elevator pitch before (laughs) I uh, came.
1: uh (laughs) No, not at all. I I mean, mean, it's fascinating. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane that you just, like, happened upon this story, too, and that, um, I want to point out that 13 laws were passed after you wrote this piece. Yep. That's incredible. Yeah. So, in summation,
2: yeah. then NYPD was doing something fucked up, and Sarah said, "Not on my watch." No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah,
1: Sarah. <laughs> yeah, Sarah. I,
0: I know her. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 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 Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, she's your
2: hype <laughs> man. Um, so, this earned you the uh, Pulitzer for public service. So, do you feel like uh, an extra air of moral superiority because you're not just a Pulitzer winner, you're a Pulitzer certified good person?
7: <laughs> Actually, I would have preferred the $15,000 that comes with all the other Pulitzer <laughs> prizes. You didn't get that? No. Why not? Because the public, the public service, doesn't come with uh, that's money. fucked up. <laughs> Uh-oh. Why not? And so actually,
1: that's okay. fucked up. I like have.
7: We're lo- getting to
2: the bottom of this story. I'll tweet that tomorrow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: wait till tomorrow. So <laughs> that's, that I that would, is insane. I would
7: take money over moral superiority. <laughs> hey, that's Amen. fair. Fifteen thousand dollars is
0: like. A that's lot of a lot money, of money. money. So right? what and did that's you like, get?
7: Life changing. Yeah. I did got a, a certificate. A dumb award. <laughs> That's <it. laughs> I got What is the point? <laughs> the, the, I know I really did get a certificate. The and and the little uh crystal uh statue. The the pu- the, the publications get uh, gold medal. So both the Daily News and um ProPublica got, like, a solid gold medal. This is honestly so
1: fucked up. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Uh, This is, the Pulitzer Prizes have been so kind to us, but now I'm like, I have beef with them. Oh, my (laughs) mom.
7: My mom was so upset when I told her. I was like, guess what I won? And she's like, oh my gosh. You know, and then she's like, wait, wait, where's your name? You know, because your name's also not on the uh, award, although they, they did put my name in the citation, but... It's not in the actual, uh, you know, it like doesn't go to Sarah yeah, Riley. It goes, wasn't
2: in the tweet I showed. Yes, <laughs> <laughs>
7: exactly. And then I b- I mentioned, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, all the other ones get, like, $15,000, but I don't get anything. She's like, what? She's like, that
0: sucks. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, it sucks. So
7: does. upset about but it. <laughs> but to like,
1: be fair, <laughs> for the greater good of... The world, you did get 13 <laughs> laws passed.
7: Exactly. So, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. What and
7: a class action lawsuit, civil mm-hmm. rights lawsuit. The so mayor knows and, who you are. Wow. Yeah, he knows who I
1: am. What does it feel like to do one thing and make a difference? Because <laughs>
7: we do not know. Neither of us know
0: <laughs> what that's
7: like. <laughs> <It'd> be, <laughs> It feels good. Yeah, it feels good. Imagine. Yeah. Not
1: fifteen
2: thousand dollars, good, but <laughs> not fifteen thousand
0: dollars, good, man. That's
1: well, like, good thing you're getting to zero, zero dollars for this show <laughs> <laughs> for free. I got a drink ticket for this show. You did get. Hey, you got. You got two. I gave it to you three. got two I gave drink, two drink
7: I gave tickets. To Randos, but, uh, yeah. All right. Well, I gave it to you her to cheer, and then. <laughs> <laughs> <she. laughs> oh, no, you did good. You've been cheering.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um one question I had about like uh your job in general like how do do you feel like since the election you felt a difference in what your job is or how do you feel like who you were as a journalist before then and now if there's a difference Just a question.
7: Oh gosh. <laughs> you didn't give me that one in advance. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're right. I didn't. <laughs> so I didn't prepare an answer. Um, so, uh, I, uh, to be honest, uh, I, when the election uh, happened, um, you know, I, I've been working on this long-term project that didn't really have to do with national politics at all, although you know, still very important. Um, I did feel a little bit uh, like, where have I been? Right I think a lot of journalists probably felt like that, like, oh my God, like where have I been? you know, like this thing happened that seems sort of unrecognizable mm-hmm. and um and so I mean that, that was sort of my immediate uh reaction, just thinking about myself as a journalist and like you know what should I do, you know going forward, I guess, yeah, um but you know I think that the um i I, I think that it um you know it's clear that. The general public uh, understands how important journalism is more so now than I think that they did before, you know, just in the um, uh, amount of uh, money that uh, people are giving to nonprofits uh, like ProPublica um, and, uh, and other nonprofit outlets, but then also subscriptions, uh, you know, and, and now the Times are like, you know, well, you know, if you already have a subscription, buy a subscription for a college Kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, to, to bring in more money, um, but you know so uh, so I think that you know the general public is is really starting to see you know how important and how valued journalism is too so yeah yeah,
2: what do you think is the importance of local journalism in a time where the national news is so all consuming and like all I can think about and all a lot of us can think about and you know who's doing good local reporting and Is there still even a space for it?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a huge space for it. And actually, there are some local nonprofits, and then, uh, like, the Philadelphia newspaper, um, they have, like, a nonprofit, for-profit type model. Uh, It's, like, a um, hybrid model. And um, I think that uh, outlets uh, like that that are more um, set up to take an infusion of cash actually are, like, the – uh, you know, in Philadelphia they are set poised to raise like a hundred million dollars. So I think that a lot of people like really do want to see um, uh, Local journalism getting strengthened. I think that local publications especially the legacy publications are a little bit at a disadvantage right now because a lot of them are for-profit and so they don't really have an avenue for people to um, show to show their support like nonprofits do um, especially because um, like a lot of them don't even have paywalls so if you Want to give your support to your local publication? You have to actually get like a paper subscription. Um, so I, that's a little bit tangential, but um, but at the same time, I think I, I think that even if you if you look at the winners of the Pulitzer prizes, I think that there was a strong recognition. A lot of smaller local outlets won the prizes this year. I think that I I, I feel I don't know I don't have any insider information, but I feel like that was you know partially intentional. Um, I think that the decline of local journalism has Um, led to the siloization of our uh, society um, more. Like, you know, I came from Detroit. We had um, the Detroit newspaper and the Detroit Free Press, so, or the Detroit News and the Detroit Free Press, and the Detroit News is more the conservative outlet. The Detroit Free Press is more the um, uh, Democratic, liberal outlet, I wouldn't exactly call it liberal, but, you know, (laughs) more more on the left, uh, Detroit News more on the right, Um, and um, so, I think that the importance in these sort of two newspaper towns, or these towns that have you know very robust local media, but still you know you know quality media like adhering to journalistic standards, um, you know the the difference between the news and the free press, um, you know might be in story selection or a little bit like uh, you know angles, but <laughs> still rooted in the same basic facts. So we got both newspapers at, at my house. My mom was more conservative, my stepdad more liberal. Um, but th- there was not a difference, a huge difference in the facts in the the two newspapers. It wasn't like you're stepping into two different universes. <laughs> and I think that and actually, I think that the the newspapers that declined more and that maybe you know, uh, in a lot of places were the more conservative papers actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, You know the Detroit News now uh, and the free press. I think that they do like a joint edition like a few times a week But you know the the point being is like you have this disappearance of your you know Two newspaper towns disappearance of your more traditional news outlets that still you know adhere to basic standards But everyone's kind of united on the facts Mm -hmm. right and and then more people are you know going to the internet for news and there's a lot of great stuff on the internet. There's also, like, a lot of shit
1: There's no it. good stuff on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually
7: deleted Facebook because I felt like oh, it was, like, a dumpster you. dive, like, every time it I truly went on it, it. was, yeah. But, you know, so uh, more people are drawn to – and, and I've done this, too, like, where you don't even read the article. You read the headline mm-hmm. and, you know, like, take information from that. But, um, you know, so you have these – you know, everyone's sort of going more towards online to get news and mix in with, like, good – Real news is a lot of fake news or whatnot, and so and, and so anyway. But I, I think a lot of that does actually have to do with the decline of local news, mm-hmm. um, like the the sort of trend and what we've seen. Um, and then the other thing is that. Um, if you look at who's holding, or and you know who's holding the Trump administration accountable, who we need to hold the Trump administration accountable, not only the um, you know people in uh, in Congress in the House and the Senate, but then um, you know uh, attorney generals, mayors, uh, you know governors, like uh, and and all uh, you know standing up against you know these policies like sanctuary cities, like for example, is a lot being fought on the local level, mm-hmm. um, and the outlets. It's not like the. New York times is like covering all these attorney generals. I mean, here and there, but like, it's they, they like, and having worked at a local outlet, like they are really pushed by the coverage that they get and mm-hmm. the like local newspaper radio, like, you know, the, the big local outlets, like the, it, it, it's like, you know, a, it like feeds into like what they do. Like I'm trying to figure out a good way to explain it, but you know, symbiotic, symbiotic yeah, like, you know, you, you it's like, you know, you, like, hold their feet to the fire. Like, you put – like, working at the Daily News, it's, like, so influential. Like, you put something out. Like, they have to, like, respond to it. Sure. You know, and so, like, when Chuck Schumer is, like, out there, like, you know, now he gets more coverage, you know. But, you know, like, he he's, like, playing to, like, you know, the, the Daily News and, the you know, the, the Times and, like, WMIC and, um, you know, more local outlets that are going to report on what he's doing because he's got to get elected. And so you have to have at those local outlets to report on those – goings on, yeah. elected officials to, you know, hold the, you know, even the Trump administration accountable. So how it ties in, I just think it, it has a very strong tie in, yeah. you know, it's like, and then, uh, you know, in terms of the forces at, you know, at work that a lot of, you know, for example, the decline of the auto industry. So coming from Michigan, it, it, you know, it's not the, t- like I, I intern for the Detroit News. And so, um, I, you know, I would be out there. I remember being out at the factories when they were closing down and interviewing people about it um, and uh, you know at the time the Detroit News uh, had like seven auto reporters um, to you know one for each auto company and then sort of like an enterprise auto reporter because that was a big industry in Detroit it's it was their job to explain what was happening with the auto industry and why and how it affected them it's not necessarily you know I don't remember it necessarily being the Times job to explain that sure, to yeah. Metro Detroit readers. Like I you know, I, I don't even remember like it, it was like hard to find the Times in Metro Detroit and that was like back in like the nineties, right? Most people read the news of the pre press. So my, my point is is like that that is like local news's role, but as it it get you know, the staff thinned out, they weren't able to do those types of stories. Yeah, yeah.
2: So Support your local papers. Yeah. yeah.
7: <laughs> I, think I actually have a lot of thoughts on this. So <laughs> you yeah, know. I <laughs> Uh
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like, uh, especially living in New York and just my upbringing, I've always been in a bubble. And to not really, th- I think right now in particular living in New York, I feel like news in New York tends to kind of hit the national... Uh, uh, Zeitgeist. Zeitgeist, yeah. Um, I think... I don't know. I guess well, everyone in the of news world is does here. live in New
2: York. Yeah, so. that's true.
1: Actually, also the only thing that exists, the only piece of land, is Manhattan. Right?
0: Brooklyn.
1: Yeah. Oh, right. Everyone We're now. in Brooklyn. Yeah. I literally, I just <laughs> moved to Brooklyn, and now I have to um, start remembering that I am a Brooklyn person. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Sarah, how do we follow you? How do we know more about you? Oh, great uh, question.
7: Well, uh, Who is that? <laughs> is that one of my friends? <laughs> 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 oh thank you did you give him our drink tickets yeah,
1: <laughs> um, yeah uh, I guess yeah. well we are going to take questions from the audience too oh, but yeah. do you
7: yeah. want to yeah. uh, at Miss Riley it's R-Y-L-E-Y yeah, yeah M-I-S-S hopefully one day it'll be M-R-S <laughs> 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 anyone looking <laughs> <laughs> M-I-S-S, R Y is in yellow. L-E-Y.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and right now you're working at the trace covering yeah. guns. Guns.
2: guns. So you will work yeah. forever. Yeah. <laughs> guns are here to stay.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I'm curious what it's like writing about guns. Um for example, we did one segment at Full Frontal on guns, and we got the most death threats. Oh, ever. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? <laughs> I haven't published anything
7: yet. Okay. So um, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> yeah. No, I've in the. am I'm just, I'm just. I'm working on a project right now. In the past, when I've tweeted things about guns, I do. I have found that though, so I'm yeah. like yeah. bracing myself. But I am doing more like policing stuff. Not as much the <laughs> politics. Okay. So. Yeah, we'll see. When can Come we on.
2: expect uh, some stuff from you on the trace?
7: Oh, uh, let me ask. You. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no I'll recording. get in touch with your editor I, and find yeah, out. I
1: don't, don't want to commit myself to anything <laughs> <laughs> that I can't. Uh, um. But. Well, do we have any questions from the audience um, for Sarah about her piece or her work or um, anything in particular? Um, how she looks so well put together all the time based on the one night that I've met you and your Twitter photo. <laughs> that was professionally taken. Oh, so. it well, looks like the stock I'm, I'm image a, of Scrappy Female, of field, female yeah. Reporter. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm wondering if there are any
7: statistics around the frequency of these uh, illegal evadement. Uh, ah, yes. Eviction. If I, I have just, lots of statistics. <laughs> if I could just
1: repeat the question for the back. Yeah. Um, this woman is wondering if there are any statistics around the nuisance abatement, uh, the, frequency. Frequency, yeah. the frequency that they would occur. So,
7: yeah, so I actually, part of the project was I, um, uh, and working with some researchers, uh, rec- uh, we entered in information about 1,162 cases that were uh, manually entered in dozens of details into a spreadsheet to. To, so I could analyze the cases. Um, so I have a lot of statistics. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> she... Does statistics <laughs> um, like the, this
0: <laughs> general got some kind of crazy a- number
7: fan in the audience o- over here is The stats, Aaron, some people back there. Um, <laughs> um, but so anyway, so um, there's a they, they file about a thousand a year. They filed about a thousand a year, and and you know as I said in the beginning, you know, roughly half a little less than half, like I think it was like 43 or 47 percent, were against residents, and then the other half against businesses. Most of the residential cases were over alleged um, uh, drug uh, offenses. Um, So uh, actually, so so why I started doing the project was, uh, or one of my original questions when I started doing it was uh, whether it was systemic or an anomaly for the city to base uh, eviction uh, allegations, or evictions on allegations that were discredited, right, as this woman, you know, her allegations were discredited. So uh, what I did was I cross-referenced the civil eviction cases with the cases and the underlying allegations any related charges in criminal court and uh, and just for the people because that uh, actually were either kicked out of that house banned um, or gave up their leases and I found that fewer than half of the people that uh, lost access to a home (coughs) I can't say evicted because it's a very touchy subject with the NYPD, <laughs> but, um, but let Any NYPD you... officers here tonight? <laughs> yeah, raise your hands. Um, <laughs> have to tell us. Yeah, but fewer than half of those people that lost access to home were kicked out or gave up their leases in order to be able to get back in and at least get their stuff, uh, were actually uh, convicted of a crime and the underlying allegations. And um, um, scores of those people weren't even prosecuted for a crime, actually. Um, So, uh, you know, the the NYPD could actually bring these cases just based on allegations without even having made an arrest. They could just say an undercover was at this place like three times or uh, or sometimes even just a confidential informant, which is uh, someone that is, you know, often like, you know, either paid or like they're trying to work off their own charges. They're not even an officer. Um, So uh, that's on the residential side. And then on the business side, um, the majority of the cases were over underage alcohol sales or, or, or other types of alcohol violations. The NYPD says, you know, these are violent nightclubs where, you know, people get shot and stabbed. But in fact, only if, you know, not that many of the cases actually mention any violence. And when we uh, went to Canvas, uh, the cases, it was like all like immigrant-owned bodegas <laughs> so, uh, you know, like in uh East uh, uh Harlem for example, like pretty much like every bodega on the block had gotten hit with one of these nuisance abatement actions and a lot of the people didn't speak English. I had a photographer with me who spoke I uh, was fluent in Spanish, so that was really helpful because otherwise I wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to speak to these people uh, the, the people, you know, do a good interview. Um and uh and and so then w- the analysis with that was looking at how um You know, in in some communities, so 9 out of 10 of the nuisance actions targeted locations that were in primarily black or Hispanic neighborhoods, uh, at least 50% or more. Most of them in neighborhoods that were like 90 or more percent black or Hispanic. And um, so with the business cases, the alcohol violations, you had some communities um, that were, um, you know, primarily non-white where businesses would get both the... um, the nuisance abatement action, and then by law, if if there's any sort of alcohol violation, it goes to the state, you know, for the state liquor authority. And so in in those communities, the business owners were getting punished double for the same offense, whereas in other communities, like, there were hardly any nuisance abatement actions, even though there were were a lot of alcohol violations. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, sort of like the heart of, like, the, um, you know, uh, objection with, you know, like, broken windows policing, you know, is that in, in certain zip codes, certain neighborhoods, the penalties for the, the same alleged offense are so much more severe than in other parts of the city. So. Yeah. Spoiler. I, those are
2: some N- The police death. were doing something yeah. racist.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
7: this is, like, sh- shocking, I right know. <laughs> um,
1: um, do we, we have one more time for, like, one more quick question? Um, question? Any more
2: good uh, more time for us <laughs> i
1: do i have one last quick question and that is it might be impossible to answer but like while i was reading your piece i was trying to understand like what was really in it for the NYPD other than like like a show of control over like a immigrant neighborhood like i I don't know if, if you had... Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a tough one. Uh, that you know, I,
7: It's much tougher, I think, to sometimes to get at motive. There were a couple of things. Um, so uh, um, with uh, broken windows uh, policing, if you guys are most everyone familiar with that term, um, and then uh, so you have uh, the, the concept being to aggressively pursue even low-level offenses uh, to prevent... Uh, uh, more serious ones from occurring. So if, you know, it seems like the police are cracking down on everything, you're going to be, like, less likely to, like, shoot somebody or carry mm-hmm. a gun on the street, right? Um, and, and and this whole idea of preventative uh, uh, policing as well and being proactive. Um, so you have that, and then you have that, um, you know, combined with Comstat, which is where they have their weekly Comstat meetings, uh, where you know uh, the, you know they go precinct to precinct. They you know talk about the crime stats, and then what are you doing? Like if there's a rise in shootings in this area, what are you doing about that? And so part of it is that, um, uh, and this is what was explained to me by you know people that work in the NYPD. Like you know nuisance abatement actions were one way where they could show that they uh, were being proactive in their uh, policing um, in response to you know various crime patterns. Um, so that's one thing they do say that they base you know, would base some of them on complaints um, so I don't want to make it seem like they're just like pulling these all out of, of thin sure, air yeah. um, I, uh, there's um, uh, expectation to get a certain number of cases like there's a, a push for numbers so um, the uh, Uh, the the NYPD's unit, the civil enforcement unit, is the, uh, the, the, it's like the NYPD's lawyers, that's the unit that does the cases. So they have pressure to make numbers um, and then the uh, uh, unofficial quotas, because quotas are actually illegal. um, But then also the, um, uh, from the precincts, they have pressure to make numbers as well. So I mean, there's a couple like different, you know, reasons. Yeah. sure.
2: Well, the good news is Jeff Sessions said the war on drugs is back, so (laughs) you're going to be swimming in (laughs) Pulitzers. Thank you.
1: Um. I'm so yeah.
2: excited <laughs> yeah, no cash but yeah. wow what an honor <laughs>
1: hopefully you win one that gives you cash I'm, I like yeah, I can't stop thinking about that yeah. but um, it's okay, I'm sure really. you can't either no I,
7: I it doesn't bother
1: me come any. to terms with it good yeah. for you I, it will keep me up at night joking
7: <laughs> although a couple of people that like worked out like Evie for example in the audience is like so what are you going to do with all that cash and I'm like uh, I hope people don't think that I got cash and I'm, like hoarding
0: it, like, <laughs> yeah
1: she's super greedy that's yeah. the takeaway from this um, well we cool. want to thank you so much oh, for Jenna. coming to talk to us <laughs> Sarah <it> up. Up. <laughs> yeah thank you so Bye. much <laughs>
0: thank you so much
5: oh, yeah grandma.
1: you oh,
2: can boy. read all of her pieces on the uh, Pulitzer website yeah um and would and you be so interested
1: yeah and, and, and keep an eye for her out on the trace follow her on twitter miss Riley propose um, to her she's looking she's looking just propose to her after the show guys thank you so much for coming to Pulitzer <laughs> Surprises tonight. we have one thing left to
0: do yes are
1: that's what
2: we that's have what we're left, left to do, do.
1: we um, our
2: method of choosing the winner is very democratic very democratic very simple. All you have to do is yell out the name of the person you think deserves to win the most, and whichever one we yeah! hear first, we're going to win. So we're going to count to three, and Wait, then just go over the names.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So for at the top, we had Dan Levine on soup. His soup. Soup. Then we, we had, had Matt, was Matt? Matt Nelson, Nelson as, as the Yale <laughs> economics professor. I had a name, banana. but I can't remember it. Uh, Person.
2: Um, uh, <laughs> then Annie Donnelly has a plastic bag. <laughs> Annie Donnelly a plastic bag. And then last was Kashana Kali with her public service entry pitch for yep. Adam <laughs> <at a> Murder. <laughs> so keeping in mind what we learned from Sarah about that if you uh, win a Pulitzer, you get nothing, um, <laughs> yell out who you think deserves it the most on the count of three. One, One two, two three.
1: three. Oh my god. So many... Wow. Should we do it one more time? Okay, one One, two, three. Yeah! I heard Dan I heard first. Dan. I heard Dan all first.
0: Right. Congrats, Dan. Congrats, Dan. Well, okay. okay go Dan. Um, congrats. Con- You're on
1: your way. Congratulations. You are now a Pulitzer Prize entrant. Not wow. something you can say every day. It's- unless
2: you are one of the seven people who have won our show.
1: <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for listening. We want to thank all of the comedians. Um, Dan, Matt, Annie, Kashana. You the best. Follow them all on Twitter. They're
2: all on there. They're
1: all on Twitter. And also Sarah Riley, our Pulitzer Prize winner. She was so incredible. Um, You can read her Pulitzer Prize winning work at Pulitzer.org or follow her on Twitter at Miss Riley.
2: Thanks for listening. Uh, we do this show every month live at union hall so come yeah come uh follow us on twitter and you'll hear endlessly about it yeah we love to self-promote it'll
1: it'll probably be the link
2: in our bio baby it could be it could very well be and if you ain't on twitter i don't know what to tell you but (laughs) go to unionhallny.com to see the calendar and find us (laughs)
1: <laughs> please, please, please. Thank you so much. We love you. Houston, 20
4: seconds to LOS Project, nice
0: to be in orbit.
1: This podcast is recorded at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York by Chris Medrano for Good Orbit.